Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ according to the Gospel of John. There'll be one or two slides where you will join in the reading, um, namely the crucify him and the asking for someone else. For as the church, we gather in responsibility also for the crucifixion. It would be nice, we think, if we'd have somebody to blame other than humanity itself for this. But the church itself is guilty of that as well. And so we'll read those together. They'll come up on the screen. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and the Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrive at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am not one, and since I am not the since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those whom you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the Jewish leaders, it is better that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did the other disciples, as did, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter into the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, I am not, he said. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I am speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself. They asked him, 
you're not one of his disciples, are you? He decided, denied it, saying, no, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose, Peter, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, What is the charge you bring against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus and to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, Is that your own questions or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight me to keep from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth, Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me for to release one of your prisoners each year at the Passover. Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? But they shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Then the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put the purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked him as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside and said to the people, I am going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly I find no guilt in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. And when they saw him, the leading priests of the temple began shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. Then the leaders replied, By our own law he ought to die, because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So that one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the leader shouted, if you release this man, you are a f no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. 
When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the Stobe Pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was about noon on the day of preparation for Passover. And people said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leader priest shout back. Then Pilate turned to Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the palace called the place, the place called the place of the skull, in Hebrew Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the King of the Jews to he said, I was the King of the Jews. Pilate replied, No, I have written what I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing apart, let us throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among them and they threw dice for my clothing. So this is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside this disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so that they soaked a sponge on it and put it on a hyssop branch and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very sab special Sabbath because it was the Passover week. So they asked Pilate first to hasten their deaths by ordering their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately came out blood and water. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may continue to believe. These things happened in fulfillment of what the scriptures say. Not one of his wounds will be broken, and that they will look on the one they pierced. Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he had feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, Demas the man who had come to Jesus that night. He brought them about 75 pounds of perfume ointment made from myrrh and aloes. 
Following the Jewish burial practice, they wrapped Jesus' body with the blood, with, with the spices in long sheets of living cloth. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a tomb, never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The word of the Lord. For Good Friday's sermon, I always struggle because there's this, this temptation to try and make sense of the cross, to cry and give some language to it that makes it so it's something that we can handle and grapple with. But often I think it's better for us to hear the story, hear it read all the way through, and to take in what that day was. I was sitting with a group of pastors this past month and they were talking about um, different ways of understanding the end times. And I told them I didn't understand the question because I didn't get obsessed with that in seminary. What I got obsessed with was the atonement, trying to understand why Jesus died the way he did. And like they said about trying to understand the end times and I said about trying to understand the atonement is at some point you have to let it be. We can use words and words and words to try and capture all of this. And yet it is its own um, mystery. Not in the way of like, oh, it's a mystery and we have to solve it like um, Agatha Christie. But a way and it's, it's something that to be taken in and pondered and pondered and pondered again. In this John's story of Jesus, you notice he's handed over multiple times. He's passed around. Nobody really wants to, to sort of do the thing that's needed to be asked to be done. He's pushed from place to place. We don't have the right to do it. You do it. No, you do it. Jesus is brought around. And yet it seems, and this is one of the things that I finally had to come to is that as Jesus is sort of paraded amongst these places, it seems like he's more and more in charge. He doesn't respond to the kings, the Caesar, or Pilate's, the governor's questions. More and more things happen so that things can be fulfilled. It's almost as if he and his father are orchestrating all the scenes that happen here. In Pilate's scene, they go inside, outside, inside, outside. And what's said in that scene is it's so that the, that the people who bring him, which is in many ways us, want to remain clean so that they can partake of whatever celebration they want to take place in. But it is Jesus, and this is what it should be clear to us, it is Jesus who can go to the unclean place, not us. It is Jesus who can go to death and bring forth life. It's for him to be able to do that. One of the things you'll notice, too, is that this story begins in a garden. There in the Olive Garden, and it ends with a tomb in a garden. Calling forth that, that early temptation of man in the book of Genesis that also comes from a garden. But one of the things that I, I wanted to, to just pause on, this is not an attempt to fully understand the cross of Jesus, but his, his words that it is finished. Again, 
He's the one who seems to be growing in power here. Who decides when it is finished? It is the Lord on the cross who declares it is finished. Even right before then, he asked for something so a scripture might be fulfilled. But John's gospel has given us some hints to what it means, what is finished. Early on in the prologue of John's gospel, it said that the light came into the world, but the darkness tried to extinguish it. The light overcame. What Jesus confronts in the cross is human darkness. So there, what is finished is that confronting of human darkness. What's also finished in the cross is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The love of God is what we see finished in the cross. One of the clearest statements of his mission comes from the lips of John the Baptist all the way back in the beginning of the gospel too. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's much that we do thinking about what does it mean that he takes away the sin of the world and how. But what's clear is that Christ in finishing his work is the one who is removing the sin of the world. One of my friends not long ago during a rough year said that there's not enough club soda in the world to clean up the mess that my life is in. But John says that he comes to remove the stain of the world. Jesus is the enough club soda in some way. Christ comes to remove the stain in which humanity has placed on the world. One other way in which his mission is finished is that we've talked about how John's gospel has no exorcisms in it. And yet Jesus, as he approaches the cross, he begins to say that he is driving out the prince of this world, the prince of darkness, in other language, Satan, that that is his final adversary. It is finished is the work of driving out that darkness. And so, too, it's, it's, it is for us to hear that. Because what we deal with in the world, um, in the next story, when we pick up in 20 on Sunday, they go out, and while it was still dark, before the light came, for us as Christians, for us to hear it is finished, is to know that the darkness that we think reigns in the world is awaiting a dawn. It is not permanent darkness. It is not darkness forever. It is the driving out of that so that light may come. And as we take in the cross, one of my favorite sayings comes from the New Testament scholar Ernest Kaseman, is to say that he is the crucified one, is to say that that is the signature of the risen one. We take in today, hear of this agony and story. But if it were not for the continuation, this would just be no day at all. 
And so the final thing that Jesus hands over as he's handed over by Judas and handed over by Pilate and handed over to Caiaphas and handed out over throughout all this is what he hands over in his, when he breathes his last after it's finished is he hands over his spirit to us. We gather today not of our own strength, not of our own accord, not because this is fun. It's not. <laughs> but because God's Spirit has given us the gift of gathering together, of coming together again and being able to hear again what it's like when we drive the light out of the world. But the darkness has not overcome it. Let us pray. God, we have heard your Son's divine mission to us. to come and take away the sin of the world. To remove that which stains so much. We have heard that this is your love for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That as we believe in him, we receive eternal life. And so, too, it's easy for us to open the newspaper, to log online, to look at our own lives in disarray and loss, and to see darkness. But what's embedded into this story is that this darkness as is evening, and as evening comes, we know that dawn comes as well. We take in this time of darkness. We sit in the stillness of Holy Saturday. We know him as the crucified one because that is the signature of the risen one. Be with us now. In the name of the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit. Amen.